Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. Scripture this morning is taken from John 16, reading from the New King James Version. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. I want to begin by reading something to you that I read this last week. As uh, a particular writer was reflecting on the new year, looking back on the previous year, they write, remember where we were at this time last year? After the disruption of a pandemic year, we looked with hope as the calendar page turned. Racial and political tensions... Natural disasters and COVID-19 had crippled our lives. Surely the coming year would be better. It's not hard to acknowledge that our optimism fell far short. For many of us, 2021 didn't offer greener pastures, but more of the same parched wasteland we've come to know. For two years now, we've struggled to stay healthy and to connect with one another. We've watched gas prices soar, churches empty, and virus rapid tests sell out. Death and discord have weighed down our hearts with world weariness. If our vice last year was unrealistic optimism, this year too many of us look to 2022 with pessimism and despair. Thousands of churches have closed. In addition, Barna revealed that 38% of those in ministry were considered leaving ministry, which was up from 29% in 2021. I got to thinking about this and I said, you know, I I was kind of looking at this year kind of negatively as well. You know, last year we were thinking, all right, getting out of 2020, things are going to start looking up. And they didn't so much do like what we probably hoped. So it was really easy to view this new year negatively. Uh, You go, well, the last year wasn't so great. So this year isn't going to be much better. And it's easy to slide into that. But the message this morning, it's very simple, dear church, and I would add to that, dear church, don't lose hope. And I think we find in this passage here where Jesus, our Lord, was speaking a very very good passage to serve as that reminder. These things I've spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So if you've come into the new year with pessimism, with negativity, we just have to remember who has overcome the world, but also who is still on the throne in heaven. Now, if I sound like a middle school boy this morning, I've got allergies. I'm regular sick. I'm not COVID sick. They've tested me. So just wanted you to know, Uh, not that you care, but anyway, if you if you thought I was sounding like a Canadian goose flying on the horizon, now you know why, as you can tell. So, what are the reasons to have hope? I've got three. I could come up with a lot more, but I'll just settle for three. When I had 
Tom Holland as my speech teacher, he would say two at the minimum, four at the most. He said three is the sweet spot. So we often would uh, design sermons with just three main points. The first of which, very simply, is that God is with us. You remember that what Jesus said to His apostles, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the ages. He made Himself known after Peter and John were commanded not to speak in His name in Acts 4.31. He reminded the church that He was with them. Paul preached about the closeness of God in Acts 17.27, how He is close or not far from many of us. Then in a vision, Jesus told Paul and urged him not to be afraid because in Acts 18 verses 9 and 10, He was with him. Jesus' name Emmanuel means literally God with us. Romans 8.11, He gives us His Holy Spirit. And in Romans 8.26, this Holy Spirit in us intercedes on behalf of our prayers. Something that I find marvelous that I don't quite fully understand. While we can't see Him, hear Him, or touch Him, our faith reminds us that God is with us. Now nobody can, at least as far as I know, uh, nobody can capture the wind or smell the wind or hold the wind. It, it, it's, it's, it's sort of something that simply happens, but we see the effects. And maybe in our own lives we can see the effects of God being with us, being near to us. And I'm convinced that one of the ways that He's near to us often is through a church family. When people go through things and church family shows up, God is reminding us that He is with us. Sometimes when you get a text message or an email or a call and someone says, I've been praying for you, God is reminding us He is with us. By the way, that, that, I, 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 let me encourage you to do this. If you pray for people, let them know you pray for them. I, I have found that when people have said, I've been praying for you, I'll be like, thank you. You know, and, and you, may not, you may think, well, I'm just facing this all alone. But someone comes along and says, I'm praying for you. I've been praying for you. I've noticed that when I've told people that, it, it really is helpful, I guess, just to know. So if you pray for people, let them know. But among the many ways that God is with us, I think sometimes it's in the laughter of a child or uh, maybe the tenderness of a loved one. And it may be a timely connection that somebody makes. One of my teachers, uh, who was a college professor and a preacher at the same time, I don't know how he did that, but he would teach all through the semester, and then once the semester was over, every week of the summer he was traveling, preaching gospel meetings. Very, very busy fellow, and so much so, probably, though I don't know all the details, and it's, I don't need to know, but his marriage, when he was a preacher in Nashville, Tennessee, and a professor of Bible, uh, his marriage ended. His wife filed for divorce. Now, anybody in any industry can go through a divorce and keep their job except a preacher and a Bible study teacher at a university, a Christian university. So everything, and he was telling this story to us at a preacher's retreat, everything he had worked for his entire life, he's now seeing slowly go away. The church where he was preaching could no longer have him. The university where he was teaching Bible could no longer allow him to teach Bible, and so his entire world was turned upside down. So 
after going through all these motions, he got to a point to where he just felt a hopelessness. So he got in his pickup truck and he decided to drive down to some of his family farm, to his family farm rather, in northern Alabama. And he's telling this, all us preachers are sitting there just locked in. This was a man that we all knew and loved and admired. And we knew he was divorced, but we didn't know what he was about to tell us. He said he was going to his family farm in northern Alabama, and he had his little 38 revolver in his pickup truck, and he had decided it's going to end it all. And we're sitting there listening, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. This very godly man, this great Christian man who, if I could ever point to someone and say, I want to be kind of a Christian like them, this would be one of those people. He said he got to his family farm, and he had his cell phone with him. And he hadn't parked very long, but he was sitting there, and his phone rang. And he answered his phone, and it was one of the members of the church where he had been preaching. And he answered it and he said, I just wanted to check on you. I don't know how you're doing. I know everything that's going on. I've been thinking about you, been praying for you. But I just wanted to call and see how you were doing. Now he told us, he said, I can't prove it, book, chapter, and verse. He said, but I'm fully convinced that that was God at work. And he later, this brother, who many of us know, continued in a single state, or a state of singleness, to be a gospel preacher, to be in very high demand. And of course, once the dust settled over all those events, he found that there was still a place for him. But that story, when he told it, just really sent chills up and down your spine because this is a guy you think never in a million years. But yeah, anybody can be pushed to that point in life. But he said, if it had not been for that phone call, if it had not been for that phone call, God is with us. This last week has been a week of goodbyes for my family. I've not liked it very much. I hope your week has been great. But I'll say as unwelcomed as this week has been, God has been with us. Many of you, and I thank you so much for your calls and your expressions of sympathy at the passing of my grandfather, that was the last biological grandparent that I had. You never feel more like an adult than when a parent or a grandparent passes away, especially that last one. And you know, we were down in Nashville yesterday for the funeral services, and I saw people I hadn't seen in over 20 years, and we were talking about it. I said, man, we've all gotten grayer, some of us a little thicker too. I said, I'm speaking about myself, because I said that to a couple of women, and I thought, oh, that was dumb. <laughs> I'm speaking of myself. <laughs> oh. I got out of that one okay. But people were coming and, and they, were, they were real nice. 
And uh, I thought I'm saying bye to my grandfather, to Granddad Hunter. I was telling stories. I did the funeral. I was more of the preacher, also the grandson, telling stories about him. And, uh, you know, I just, I hate that he died, yes, but I'm like, you know, he went the way he would have wanted to go, sudden. He would not have been a good, declining, elderly patient. He was already grumpy enough as it was. Didn't need him to be sick and grumpy. Somebody asked me, they said, tell me what your granddad was like. I said, he's a grumpy old man, but he was able to do it in a way that was charming, if it's ever possible. I said, I hope to one day be like him. And uh, Stephanie can attest as to whether that's true or not. But we said goodbye to my granddad. But we also said goodbye to our daughter as she deployed and was heading overseas to serve her country. Goodbye. Been a week of goodbyes. But I still have hope because God is with us. God is with us. I can't see him. I can't hear him. But as I was sitting there, I was getting a little anxious yesterday, right before it was time to do the service for Granddad. And I just stopped. Because it's so funny because every, you don't know this, but every Thursday and Friday of the week, Thursday or Friday, I choose the sermons that I'm going to preach for the following week. So for example, this last Friday, I chose next Sunday's sermons. And so this one was chosen ahead and I'm sitting here preparing for it and I'm going, I need this more than anybody. God is with us. That's a reason to have hope. God is with us. Secondly, I believe also that God still works in the world. Our Sunday school class in the auditorium just concluded a study of the book of Esther. And did you know that the book of Esther is the only book in all the Bible that does not mention God once? But as you read that story, you see the hand of God in all the events as things unfold. And you can't help but think God is working through all of this. So, the providence of God, as it unfolds in the book of Esther, were based on the promises that He had made to Israel. And Mordecai knew this, and at one point when he's talking to Esther, he says, look, if you don't go into the king deliverance will arise from somewhere else. But who knows whether or not you've been put in the kingdom for a time such as this. And so the point that, he, that I really took from that is he was speaking in faith. Look, look if you don't do it, somebody's going to do it. Because he remembered the promises of God. God's providence is his operating through natural means. Now, the miracles of God, as we read in the scripture, that is God operating in defiant of the natural laws that he's ordered the world with. For example, Hannah's conception of Samuel was providential. She went to the temple and she prayed to the Lord and God gave her a son. We see nothing miraculous about it. It's just God answering a prayer of one of his people. And we may not always see how God is working, but we can probably all reflect on a past event in our lives and probably say, I can see God in this. Can I prove it? No. But I have faith, and if I were to explain to you how this went this way, this went that way, and this went the other way, if it had gone any other way, it would have messed the whole thing up. But it just went so, so. I believe God was working in that. That is the providential operation of God. Now, that's a study that I think would be a great study, is the providence of God, a good Bible class study. So if anybody needs an idea, there you go. Uh, 
And I don't think this has stopped. I think God still works providentially. And I know there are times that we think, well, I, I don't think he was working in this. What I have to remember is that God doesn't work how I want him to work. And God doesn't work on the time frame I set. He works according to his will on his own time. And that's something that's hard for us really to, to deal with. You know, we want it as we want it when we want it. That's not how God works. You know, back to that book of Esther, something that's remarkable about that book is when you read it and you study the timeline, from the time the edict is signed to extinguish the Jews throughout all the Persian Empire up until the day it was to happen, they had about a year to reflect on their fate. They had been given a horrible diagnosis by an edict issued throughout the entire empire. And from the time it was issued until the time the day would come to pass that it was open season on the Jews, one year. Imagine knowing for one year you have nothing to do but to dread a day that you're probably going to die on. you got a whole year to think about it. I'd rather not know. Ignorance is bliss. But they knew about it because it was written into law. Wouldn't it have been nice if God would have been like, hey, it's okay, I'm going to take care of it. Yeah, it would have been nice. But that's not how he operated. He operated providentially. And I think he still does that again today. God is with us. I believe that God works in the world providentially. And I believe God also continues to invite us to do his work. We have seen the best, not only of humanity, but also the church ever since the tornadoes that have struck and struck and stricken, hit Mayfield. I don't know what the word is. We have seen the church step up. We have seen probably members get involved who otherwise weren't involved because their heart goes out to people who have suffered. I remember at a congregation where I was serving, there was a brother who, whose son was very ill. And uh, he was a young adult and he was put on life support. And it was, it was a fluke of a thing. I mean, it was like this guy was healthy one day, then he kind of had flu-like symptoms, and now he's on a ventilator. Well, everybody at the congregation is going, you, you could go by the waiting room, and there was a waiting room full of people, most of whom were members of the church. After all that, and after he became well, his father made the remark, he said, I never knew how important visiting somebody was until I needed somebody to visit us. You know what he started doing? He started visiting hospitals, funeral homes, because he remembered what it was like when he was wondering whether or not his son was going to live and how much it meant that all the members of the church at some point or another stopped and visited, prayed with, brought food, sat with. Sometimes it, it does take something horrible to motivate us to do something other than sit in a pew. And I hope that our Christianity isn't limited to just sitting in a pew. I hope that we as God's people run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. 
This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. That's probably the wisest advice I was given uh, in my in my studies. I was working on my dissertation, and uh, anyone that has had to write a thesis or something, you understand. Not everybody does that, and you're probably better off for having not done it because it'll drive you a little bit insane. I remember I was talking to my uh, my supervisor, my doctoral supervisor. And I was like, I'm, I'm just, I'm defeated mentally. I'm just, he said, Stephen, remember, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I was like, that's good advice. Because if you're looking at, I got to get it done right now, that's not how it works. And we look at life and we go, this, it, it's got to be right now. No, we're, we're in a marathon. And, you know, we've got to have the endurance to live this life in faith to God. We can't lose hope, even when all hope seems lost. Despite the negativity of the past couple of years, we've still, and I was looking through our records, we have had 17 souls added to the kingdom of God, to the body of Christ. We have had 19 people place membership at Glendale Road. Now, you look at the years before that, we had more. But you know what? Even in the past two years, when the conditions weren't ideal, God's work was still getting done. Maybe not to the extent we would have liked to have seen it, but it was still getting done. John 4.35, Jesus said, Look up, excuse me, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. God is with us. God works in the world. And God invites us to do His work. These are all reasons that we can still hold on to hope. There was, not many years ago, uh, an archaeological discovery about the Civil War at the Battle of Vicksburg. It's very interesting. Now, just for those who know or may not know, I had to research this, but at the Battle of Vicksburg, Lieutenant General John Pemberton was only able to place about 18,000 troops on his lines. Major General Grant had over 35,000 soldiers with more on the way. Now, numbers are scarcely something to look at because smarts and strategy have often been proven to overcome numbers. Pemberton had an advantage because of the terrain and the fortifications that made his defense nearly impregnable. The defensive line around Vicksburg ran six and a half miles, and based on the terrain and the various elevation, varying elevations with the hills and the, the steep angles for an attacker to ascend under fire, they were, they were very nicely placed. But the perimeter also boasted of guns, gun pits, forts, trenches, and various other uh, offensive and defensive strategies, I guess you could say. Well, Grant made two assaults against the Confederate soldiers and was repulsed with heavy casualties. I mean, they really let him have it. Finally, on May 25th, he decided to besiege the city. So the continual pressure from the Union drove the Confederate soldiers out of supplies because of the tactical advantage that the North had. Now, I mentioned several years ago this archaeological discovery. What it was is there was a glass vial found by archaeologists working in that area, and it had a little slip of paper in it. And historians and and all those looked at it. It was dated July 4th, 1863, the same day 
that Pemberton surrendered. And the message on that little sheet of paper, the message to Pemberton said, quote, reinforcements are not on the way. You can expect no help from this side of the river. He surrendered because he had no hope. He surrendered because he was given that message. You can expect no help. Could you imagine for a second the state of despair we would live in if this Holy Bible had the message of you can expect no help. Or if it said something along the lines of all is lost. But that's not what it says. Among the many things written in Scripture are some beautiful passages from the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, verses 2 through 4. Speaking of Jesus, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. We never really find out what we're made of until we're put to the test. And if all we ever seek are the good times, we'll never develop into the kind of person that God intends for us to be. But it's the hope that we have that leads us to glory even in tribulations because those tribulations produce perseverance. And perseverance give us character and character hope. Also in Romans 8, 24 and 25, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Think about that. The hope that we have is a hope because we don't have it right now because we don't see it. Let me also make a remark on the word hope. The way that the Bible uses it is differently than how we use it. The way we use the word hope is we go, boy, I sure hope the, this rain lets up by the time we leave church. Or, you know, I, I, I hope that this mess of a pandemic comes to an end pretty soon. You, we use it in the terms of I wish, I want. But that's not the word that, that, that's not the meaning of the word translated hope in the Bible. Here's what I want you to think of. When you read the word hope in Scripture, think of this word. This is the synonym. Assurance. Assurance. So if we were to substitute hope with that, for we were saved in this assurance. But assurance that is seen is not assurance. For why does a person still hope for what he sees or assures for what he sees? That didn't make sense. But if we hope, that's the verb, portion of it. For what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We sing a hymn, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Hope. Assurance. We have the blessed assurance. But yet it is also a hope. I told you about how this week was a week of goodbyes. One of those goodbyes, however, I have the hope by the grace of God, at some point in this year or the next, 
Our daughter's going to come back. She's left. We bid farewell. But we have the hope that by God's grace, she'll come back home. Now, how do you think we're going to take that? Have you ever watched any of these videos where a soldier returns after a deployment and surprises the family and it's just so emotional and everybody's crying? I, I was watching some of those when Bree was in basic training. Worst thing to do. I, I had this fluid leaking from my eyes. I wasn't used to that. And then when she finally did come back, she, she surprised us and came a day earlier. And I didn't cry then. I, I was excited. And now Stephanie cried. She's a crier. But we were so glad to see her. Glad that she was back home. She's left now, but we have the hope. Again, by God's grace, if the Lord wills, she's going to come back. That's what we hold on to. People said, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> you just do it. We don't have a choice. You just do it. And you trust that God is with you. You trust that God is at work. And you hold on to the hope. Now, how many of us as Christians have that same anticipation, excitement, and hope about the return of Jesus? Scripture tells us He's going to come. He's going to return. It's only when we learn to miss, truly miss with all our heart that we will come to revel in the hope of a return. And what's going to happen when He comes back? Scripture tells us that the dead in Christ will rise first and they will join Him and those of us who are alive at His coming, we will join Him in the air, and thus we shall always be. The wicked and the ungodly will be judged. Death and Hades will be thrown into the lake of fire. But those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will receive a new body, free from the corruptions and the decay of this life, to live eternally with the Father forever. This is our hope. And that hope is given to us by God through His Son. Now, if, if I make it into heaven, it's not going to be because I was good enough. It's also not going to be because I tried hard enough. It'll be because Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I had faith in Him and I walked in that faith through obedience as best I could. But it'll be because of Jesus. I have faith in Him. Because I had faith, the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. Simply to confess Jesus as Lord. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He once asked His apostles, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, some say Jeremiah, some Elijah, or one of the prophets. Okay, now who do you say that I am? Peter, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I can't but quote that verse in the King James only because that's how I learned it. To say you are the Christ, ah, that doesn't sound right. Thou art the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed it to you. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail. The fact that Jesus is who He is, and the fact that people have been confessing who He is, has built up the church. And also with that, the people of God have, throughout our life living in faith to the Lord, have had to repent. It's not a one-time thing. And it's probably, at least in my opinion, repentance is the hardest part of being a Christian. Because sometimes you take two steps forward, ten steps backwards, and you go, man, I really messed that up. And it's a good thing that God isn't fickle as I tend to be. I'd ran out of patience on me a long time ago. But I'm grateful that he hasn't. Confess Jesus, repent of sin, be buried with Christ in the waters of baptism, wherein we put on Christ, wherein the Holy Spirit joins us to the body of Christ, wherein our sins are washed away. These are only the beginning steps of the Christian life. It's not the finish. And too many have treated it as the ultimate aim and the finish. That begins our walk with Jesus. But we walk, God willing, in hope. It's my wish for you to have that hope. And even as Christians, it's easy to be pessimistic. It's easy to be negative given what we've had for the past two years. And it would be easy for me the first week of the new year saying two hard goodbyes to just go, well, 2022 is ruined. It's over. Not going to be a good year. No, I'm choosing to look at it in faith. God is with us. God is still at work in the world, and He invites us to do that work with Him. If you're subject to the invitation, if you don't have the hope, if you need the hope, if you want the hope, come as we stand and sing.